Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, hey, hey guys, it's another Sunday night and it's time for the Brain Love Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Delvina Thomas, a board-certified psychiatrist in South Florida. And every Sunday night, you guys know, I post a new episode for the Brain Love Podcast. Please pardon me tonight, but have you ever had something go down the wrong way? Something went down the wrong way, and I went into a major coughing fit. So my voice tonight has changed (laughs) just a tad bit, but it'll be back to normal soon. So anyhow, as I promised you last week, tonight, it's time for part two of Queens and their mental health. Yes, that's right. We're still talking about the ladies and our special mental health concerns that we experience. And um, I just wanted to be able to bring you the entire episode from the uh, kind of sort of a fireside chat that I did with the North Broward Links group during the month of March. Um, it is April, and there's so many national items we recognize in April, one of which is Autism Month. Another one is Sexual Assault Awareness, um, as well as sexually transmitted diseases and all sorts of things during the month of April. Stress awareness, I believe. Also, there's like a Minority Mental Health Awareness Week in April, which I did not know about until recently. There are so many things that we we honor and um, that we highlight during the month of April. So May, next month, is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And so, obviously, obviously, you know, for me, mental health awareness is every day. Um, so we're going to keep it moving with the women in Queens, Queens and their mental health. Um, I was on as a special guest, and the chat was moderated by Miss Dion Polite, as I mentioned in last week's episode. If you don't know who Dion Polite is, please listen to part one and then come back to part two. In part one, I basically laid the foundation for um, our history, starting with basically 1619. You know, that was the first boat or first time slaves were brought into the United States from Africa. So 1619 starts the timeline for African-Americans here in America. And I walked through all the way to present day. And those things from our past, although we, you know, no one is remaining stuck in the past, but it's good to understand how your past plays into your present being. And that's why I did that. So hopefully you got a lot of history out of last week's episode. That history includes so many challenges such as forced or involuntary sterilization of women, black women, mostly poor black women, um, as well as all of the things we had to overcome as as a group, um, things such as you know not having voting rights as women, but also worse even for black women, because um, once blacks were allowed to vote, of course they were discouraged from going to the polls and discouraged by hangings and all of these other um, traumatic 
foolish incidents that went on, especially in the in the deep south or in the south. Um, and so even today, we still have microaggressions that folks deal with out in the community, macroaggressions as well. Some folks just don't give a damn. They say what they want and do what they want, including some some of the police officers out here. If you haven't seen the movie Master, starring uh, Regina Regina Hall, you have to watch that movie because it is a great, great um pretty much just depiction of what happens with black folks, especially when they're in a majority white environment, such as at colleges and universities. We call them um, PWIs, predominantly white institutions. So if you haven't seen Master, please check it out. And um, during, back to the episode for tonight, tonight we're going into the questions and answers section. Um, you'll hear, hear questions such as, you know, my providing an overview of my practice, the types of patients we see. Um, I also get a question about the most serious type of mental health issues that women of color are dealing with. We discussed a little bit, <clears throat> pardon me, about um, whether or not the fact that roughly 30% of black and African-American homes, uh, the head of the household, uh, are women and we compare that to only 9% of white homes, how does that affect the mental health crisis in our community? We also talk about coping exercises. And I define for people coping exercises and coping strategies um, in comparison to um, doing regular things, routine things to help folks to relax. So there's a difference between coping strategies and um the other things that you might do here and there to help with your mental health and wellness. And when I say things, I mean things like going to the nail salon, getting a massage. At times in the moment, you need a coping strategy to deal with stress that may just overcome you. So we define the difference between the two, coping in the moment versus coping over time. Um, we also discuss different types of mental illnesses. We go into a little bit about that. And we talk about some links and some tools and resources. <clears throat> Pardon me. So sorry. I told you guys it went down the wrong way. Um, and so, and then some other questions also came from the folks who were there at the, the fireside chat. So join us on the couch, take a listen. And I think, again, this will be another helpful episode to um, enlighten folks and further your knowledge in the field of mental health and wellness. Are you ready to take the couch? What's up, guys? So I just want to remind you about the ways you can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dr. Delvina at Dr. D as in Delta, E-L-V as in Victor, E-N-A. I no longer have a Dr. Delvina Twitter or a Dr. Delvina Facebook professional page. Both of those were unpublished. Um, I won't get into the details of that, but... Um, Instead of following Dr. Delvina on Twitter, follow the office Twitter page, which is which is DRT Brain Love, DRT Brain Love, B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E, DRT as in Dr. T, DRT. And on Facebook, you can follow the Brain Love podcast. And of course, if you are not following me on Instagram, follow me at Dr. Delvina. 
And my website is Dr. Delvina, Dr. Shorten, D-R, and then Delvina, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A dot help, H-E-L-P. As in help me, help me, Dr. Delvina. And um, tell your friends, tell everybody about the Brain Love Podcast. Please subscribe. Subscribe either on Pandora, on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. If you're on Anchor, subscribe on Anchor. Show me some love, y'all. Show me some love. That's right. Okay, have- great. I believe Catherine had one. She raised. Thank her. you, uh, Link Tamara. My question uh, was was answered when she talked about you know uh, people uh, b- blacks going to therapists, but you know death is 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 a very hard. Um, Uh, knock to a lot of us and I remember my father passed in 96 and I think it took me 10 years um, to kind of pull through that Mm -hmm. and you find yourself doing things you know working harder as the therapy you talk about you know doing things you know for yourself but um, as a therapist as a mental health uh, you know consultant how do you deal what is what is the I don't even know that there is an answer for how one deals with death and moving forward. Cause we all have to deal with it. And you know, the pandemic, I think I dealt with 20 deaths. Yeah. And it's like, how do you pull out of that to become, you know, to get that norm back, you know? Yeah. So man, unless someone has experienced death and dying, it is hard for them to understand where you're coming from. Um, I would say the first thing is you have to show yourself grace. Mm. You have to allow yourself to feel and allow yourself to have the emotions. You have to allow yourself to cry when it comes over you. When I was a, a resident in psychiatry, my mother passed away. That was in 2005. And, um, When you're, you know, depending on your job as a physician at the time, I didn't get a lot of bereavement time. I didn't get a lot of time to just get over it. You never, you never get over it. And this is why the American Psychiatric Association changed their guidelines when it comes to bereavement. They used to have a timeline on how long you should grieve, but you can't tell someone how long it will take them to get over the death of a loved one or someone that's close to them. Um, So first, the first thing is allowing yourself to process, giving yourself the opportunity to express your emotions. If you feel like crying, go and cry. If you're in your office and there's other people around, you know, leave, go to the bathroom and, and have that cry in private, go to your car. I still cry over my mother. Sometimes it's a song I hear. Sometimes it's something I know that she loved a lot or sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a place I go to and I might smell something and it smells like a perfume she wore. You know, I could talk myself into crime right now. Girl. (laughs) Yes. And so it's okay also to meet with a grief therapist, someone who specializes in grief because they've taken... Um, extra additional training and how to help you process and go through it because it's a process. It really is. When someone leaves here forever, it's a process. Um, And I think a part of that too, 
Miss Menace, is the, the, the other portion of prevention, right? So I was talking earlier about prevention. And so having certain things in place already will help you when you get hit with a crisis of some sort. And crises include the death of family members, the death of loved ones. So having certain things in place, such as healthy eating, having a regular workout routine, having a, uh, um, a positive circle of family and friends, folks who you know um, will always be positive, people who you know will not give you bad advice, people who will keep what you talk to them about and confidence. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go talk to everybody about what you just told them. Um, folks who are not negative, uh, people who just, you know, have positive energy. It's important to have a tribe of people who are positive. And for the folks who are not, they can still be in your circle somewhere, but you got to push them way to the outside yeah. of that circle. Yes. They should not be <laughs> anywhere near you because mm-hmm. having that negative energy around, that's sucking from your energy. Mm-hmm. So Having the prevention things in place already, allowing yourself to grieve, giving yourself grace, not beating yourself up because you feel like, oh, you know, I should be over this already. No, you shouldn't, because Mm -hmm. really, this is what life is about. It's about being able to process these losses that we experience. And so you don't ever get over the death of someone you love. You don't get over the death of your father. You don't get over the death of your mother. You definitely don't get over the death of your child if you're someone who's unfortunate to go through such um man you Trauma. know a traumatizing situation yeah. and losing your child so you don't get over those things so telling yourself to get over it is the wrong thing to do i also think journaling you know and allowing yourself to have to to go backward in time and thinking about the good times that you had with that person is also a good way to help you in processing and getting through um the process of losing them thank you wow link tamara you wanted um you you had a question i do have a question um yes. dr galvino in one of the slides you mentioned um, that nearly 80, almost 82% of African-American women are considered obese. Um, I, I get mad because I believe I'm in that group. <laughs> At least oh, I'm, I'm in that group to. too. I'm in that group. <laughs> okay. So what had happened was, um, <laughs> I too, that are we judging ourselves on a, on a system that isn't... Right. That isn't meant for us. You know, I'm never going to be a size six mm-hmm. and weigh 120 pounds. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, I was when I was 12, but <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not anymore. So like, how do we reconcile that? Because 82% is ridiculous. Like that's, that's literally every black woman we know almost be- <laughs> minus 20%. I mean, right. you know, so I can't even believe that there is a stat that says almost a hundred percent of black women are obese. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And, um, you know, I won't hide it. The, the, the science of medicine, the business of medicine was a white man's business. Yep. And, um, we cannot disregard that. There was a time when slaves who didn't want to be slaves were considered insane because they don't want to be slaves. Psychologists had actually diagnosed them with a mental disorder. 
they didn't want to be slaves. Yeah. There's so many things that the, that medicine, that the, the specialty of medicine in America has done to black people in America and folks who don't know their history are, you know, they're in the dark. They don't know about these things. This is why so many of our older folks did not want that Corona, that COVID-19 vaccination because Some of them know about these things. They may have remembered some of the those some of those situations. But to answer your question, you know, we're a, a very unique culture, Black folks. We like yeah. big booties and uh, we're not monoliths, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you say? It's not a monolith, right? It's not that brushstroke. I, 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 League Tamara, I've had arguments with my my general practitioner who said to me, well, Dion, you're in your beast cat. And she's a little Asian woman. And I said to her, you can't tell me that I am because you're a little Asian woman. Dion, sorry, I got to throw a yellow flag on the play. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to ask you if your primary care is black or white, but you yeah, said no, she's Asian. Asian. I have not been able to find one I, uh, here since I moved to Florida. I cannot find. Allow me to help you. I Please. will Listen, I rely on you to help me in a lot of ways. So yes. Yes. So, and you, that brings up a very good point because you should be, and and so, and I'm not saying this to be racist at all. I'm saying this to be culturally sensitive. I'm not trying to exclude white doctors because they're white, but you have to go to someone who looks like you and has experiences like you because that person can, can, um, manage Tamara, Tamara, they can manage you based on your ethnicity, your culture, bigger, being obese. I can't see everyone on this zoom, but I'm sure a lot of us are considered obese. I get taped every time we have a weigh in by the military. I'm supposed to be 145 pounds. Um, so for me, it's almost, (laughs) It's almost, you know, unachievable. I have to not eat, work out all day long, every day. Jesus. It happens when I'm on a deployment. But it's important to have someone who looks like you and is similar to you because they understand our unique needs. And it applies to mental health and wellness. And it applies also to um, the doctors who take care of our physical health. So, you know, um, Sarah, I don't know where they get these figures and how they come up with these numbers. I'm sure it's they've uh, decided that, okay, if you're this certain weight, more than likely um, you're at higher risk of certain things. So that's why obesity is so important. And that's why they talk about it, because if you're obese, you're at risk for developing certain disorders, whether it's diabetes or high blood pressure or heart disease. But what's important is looking beyond that and looking at your BMI, your body mass index, you know, looking at your percentage of fat and also looking at how, how heart healthy are you? Pardon me. How healthy is your heart? Getting an EKG, having a stress test, doing those things to look beyond just the numbers, because there are a lot of women who are overweight and, you know, or obese, but they're healthy. They work out, they eat right. Um, And it's, it's funny you would ask that because I, I interviewed um, a general surgeon, a black man, and we talked about weight loss procedures. You know, he does different weight loss procedures for folks. And I asked him about the, um, the, the gene, the adipose gene, 
the fat gene. Um, the the gene that determines how a person will look, how they'll carry their adipose, aka their their fat. Mm-hmm. And so he confirmed for me, and also I know for myself from doing the research that there really is a gene that uh, determines what our how our weight is distributed and how much fat we'll have. There mm-hmm. is there is a gene for that. It really does exist. People say, oh, you know, that's that's not true, but there really is a gene that has a, a lot to do with how you carry your weight and what your weight will be. Okay. Yeah, I just feel like sometimes too, that is maybe um, a part of some of the mental stuff we go through as well, because we are the, like you said, the imposter syndrome or feeling like we're not as good as or um we need to be a certain way and, mm-hmm. and yeah it's like dude I haven't been 120 pounds <laughs> since forever because <laughs> I'll be real angry because I'll be angry so there's that right <laughs> you have to ask yourself if you're eating healthy and you're doing healthy things to right. to yeah. live your life if right. you're exercising you're doing your three 60 to 90 minute, you know, cardiovascular events each week or two, um, um, two 60 minute or three 30 minutes and you're eating healthy and, you know, you're getting your fruits and your veggies and your fiber, you're doing those things, then you're winning. And I, I wouldn't be so concerned about the weight or even the label of obese or overweight. It's just something. And, and listen, they come up with these labels and these identifiers because they have to be able to build insurance. So that's the other thing in America that really influences how your treatment plan is coordinated is the insurance. Mm. Insurance force doctors to do certain things because if you don't, you won't get paid. That, that doesn't exist in other countries. And I'm sure if I went to practice medicine in Europe or, you know, in Africa or somewhere like that, it would be very different. So because your doctor wants to be able to bill for a visit, if you don't have high blood pressure, if you don't have diabetes, if you don't have any of these chronic issues, if you're overweight or obese, they can bill for that. They can put down a code for overweight or obese and get and bill it and get paid. I'm telling you wow. that if they want to bill for a higher code to get a higher reimbursement, you're not going to get that reimbursement if you haven't rendered a diagnosis. Mm. So you can't just say healthy, uh, healthy 50 year old woman comes in right. no diagnosis. She's a nine, you know, whatever that higher level code is, it's not going to work out. So that also uh, influences what happens in the doctor's office. Wow. And these labels. All these, re- all these little insights that we're getting, it, it's, uh, it's really important. I, I wanted to say, before I ask you the next question, that um, the North Broward uh, County chapter of the Lynx has a mental health ambassador. Uh, her name is Dr. Allison D'Souza, and she just joined us. So I just wanted to acknowledge that Dr. Allison is on. And, um, and I'll ask the next question. Uh, and Dr. Allison, you and I can go back and forth if you're comfortable with that or you know, I can just turn this over to you. But the next question is this. Um, what are the most serious types of mental health issues that we as women of color are dealing with? Is it as, as um, Link Tamron mentioned a little while ago, the uh, imposter syndrome or the superwoman syndrome or any other syndrome? What, what, what are the most serious types um, 
uh, or, or is it suicidal uh, ideation? I, I, I mean, is, are there categories that we tend to lean more heavily in? I think the most serious type is, um, are the depressive disorders, the depressive disorders, um, because, you know, stress is considered a mental health challenge, but stress is not necessarily, it's not considered serious. Um, stress doesn't become serious until you don't do anything about your stress and your stress begins to manifest as something different. How does stress manifest? Well, it can manifest into anxiety, aka nervousness, and it can also manifest as a depressive disorder of some sort. So the most severe disorders that we deal with in the office are mood disorders, which depressive disorder falls under that. And some of our patients have bipolar affective disorder. Some of the other stuff, the background noise, um, we help a lot of people with family challenges. That's pretty common too. Um, the family challenges of, you know, one particular family member, the daughter, maybe it's the oldest daughter, maybe it's the youngest daughter. It's the one who's always making decisions for the family. She's always the go-to that everyone is going to. She's always the person who's there when someone can't be there. She's always the person taking mom and dad to the, the doctor's appointments. She's the person for everything. And when you use the same person for everything, they eventually burn out. They eventually can't take anymore. They decompensate. So that's very common. Also, we have a lot of black women who come for our services who are just burned out. They've been burned out from their family because they don't know how to say no. No is a powerful word and everyone should know how to say N-O, no, no. And say no and not feel like you have to give an excuse. You don't owe anyone an excuse. You can just say, no, no, I can't do it. No, I'm not available. No, not this time. Get someone else. No, just decline. And that's something that women struggle with, especially us, because we want to be able to do everything. When I say us, I mean, Black women. We want to be, we don't want to say no, because we feel like we're being weak if we can't manage and juggle and do this and do that and you know do something that takes 72 hours if we can't get it done in 24 hours we feel like a failure so we hold ourselves um at these higher expectations but they're almost unfillable it's like you know it's unreasonable to think that you can accomplish all this stuff you got again i'm going to use the word grace you got to show yourself grace and have to be able you have to learn to say no we have a question in the chat. Um, this one says, can you refuse the doctor's prescriptions so they don't put it in your records? <laughs> no, it'll still go on your record. You can refuse it, but it'll still be in the record because the doctor, there's something called CYA. Everyone knows what that means, right? <laughs> <laughs> so if they make a recommendation to you, it's because they believe in their clinical opinion, it is what you need for whatever that situation, wow. whatever that situation is. And so if they don't make the recommendation and let's say something happens to you the next day, that could, that could create a litigious situation. You could sue the doctor or if you die, your family could get, ask a lawyer to get your records, go through the records and say, aha, they, they were supposed to recommend a blood pressure pill to you and they didn't give you this recommendation. Mm. Oh, this is malpractice. This is negligence. Mm. Let's sue them. 
And so doctors will always, unless they're in a rush, they make a mistake, they will always place what they recommend to you. And if you decline it, they'll state patient refuses, but highly recommend it to this patient. The thing it won't, where, where it won't show up is at the pharmacy. Understand this. The pharmacies now are on a national system. Mm-hmm. That national system was created because so many people have been abusing certain controlled substances. So all the pharmacies want to be able to see what another pharmacy is doing. We mm-hmm. also have a new system, too, for physicians to be involved in that controlled substance situation. The other system that talks are life insurance plans and health insurance plans. So when you apply for life insurance, and let's say you've had all this stuff wrong with you, but you lie on your application and say you have nothing, you haven't been on any meds, the life insurance company has you, they ask you to sign a release of information. You sign it. Most people don't realize what they're signing. And that gives them permission to get your records from the pharmacies. Mm-hmm. From every pharmacy you ever went to, they will pull those records, pull those scripts that you that you had, and they'll say, oh, well, why in March 2007 were you prescribed lisinopril? Oh, we see a prescription here for an antibiotic. Oh, we see, you know, so they'll see whatever you've been prescribed. So if you refuse to take a medication and the doctor doesn't send the prescription to the pharmacy, then it will not show up in your pharmaceutical records. You won't have that issue. It'll only be in the doctor's notes, their recommendation, unless they forget to put it in the recommendation. If they send the prescription to the pharmacy and you never pick it up, it will not show up on your pharmacy profile. Because it won't show up if you didn't pick up the medication. It only shows up if you pick up the medicine from the pharmacy. And if you pick it up from the pharmacy and you never start taking it, it will still show up because the pharmacy doesn't know that you were not right. and didn't take it. You picked it up. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you, have- Dr. Delvina. You're welcome. Go ahead, Lictamara. Okay, I was going to say we have uh, some more comments. Daphne Snell is on. Thanks, Daphne. While this is surprising, it all makes sense. Um, we have, uh, and Sherry asked that question, what if you never picked up the script? So she got that. Uh, Bacardi says, those records are also discoverable in uh, litigation that involves your mental or physical health, oh, claims wow. of distress, et cetera. So, now, let me, let me comment on that because mm-hmm. um, uh, you can refuse to give up someone's records. As oh. a psychiatrist, as a mental health expert, as a therapist, you can refuse to release a person's mental health records. Now, if you refuse, let's say an attorney sends a release of information, they want the records and you say, no, I'm not, I'm not giving you my, my patient's records. Then they may go and get a subpoena from a judge. The subpoena comes to your office and you can still refuse to send those records, but you will be in court explaining to the judge why wow why you are refusing to share those records. Now, something that mental health professionals will do is instead of giving up the records, they'll provide a summary of care. They'll write type up a letter that's a summary of care and they'll state this is what they're providing instead of the mental health records. But yes, depending on the circumstances, those records are discoverable in litigation. Absolutely. Wow. Especially, especially physical health records, because those you cannot deny. You can't deny 
But mental health records, it's it's a little different. You can work if you're a mental health professional, you can work with your attorney and um, seeking how not to share the records if you don't want to share your patient's records. Thank because you. We're talking about those records that, you know, you say you have a bad back and you and it's causing you stress at work or whatever and, and it's making your back go out, yet they see you playing basketball, you know, <laughs> down the street. So so they but so that's kind of how they can get those records. A lot of people, I actually have a girlfriend, she um, does disability claims. And the, when she tells me about some of the claims, I'm really surprised that they won't accept them like they they she'll 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 say no no and then she's told me that they do have investigators that you know look people well, right right the mental is is a little, social security social security you know, she works with Cigna. she works with oh. Cigna. <laughs> and, gotcha. th- and these are people that are trying to get off work you know yeah. they try oh, to- let me tell you that is the most challenging thing especially for a company called sedgwick so if you have Sedgwick and you're trying to be off from work more than 30 days and you want to use your short-term disability, it is the most challenging stuff to deal with because these disability companies make the doctor fill out all kinds of paperwork because it helps to deter you from wanting to do paperwork for your patient. Right, right. Eight pages, you know, every other week to fill out for an update. And so it's just to deter the process so that people are not abusing or using mental health reasons wow. to be work. It's a whole system of shenanigans going on out there. So Tamara, you are correct about that. Yeah. So I know okay. um, I'm uh, Link Linda had her hand up, so I don't know if her question was answered. She said it was answered. So she Okay, was, good. Yeah. So I'll go on to um, uh, the next one. Unless Link Allison, do you want to jump in at this point or do you want me to go on? Well, someone, before you go, someone did ask a question about HIPAA. What about HIPAA? Okay. I mean, do you, it, it, does HIPAA help us at any, at all, as far as, I guess, not wanting any of this stuff released? Yeah. So this is why you have to sign a release of information. The release of information bypasses HIPAA. So without a release of information, let's say um, just the other day, um, an 18-year-old uh, uh, young man, is a patient in the office. His mother called the office uh, for information. Mm -hmm. And my staff checked to see if there was a signed release of information to speak with his mother. And there wasn't. So they said, well, we can neither confirm nor deny that your son is a patient here. So we're so sorry, but we can't answer your question. Um, And she got a little irritated about it. And she said, well, I know Dr. Thomas. Tell (laughs) Tell her to call me. I know her. So I called her and I said, hey, yeah, they, you know, they're just doing their job. They're the gatekeeper because right. if you violate HIPAA, you can be fined up to $10,000 for a violation. Oh my. That's, that's very serious. So um, respect it. If you call a doctor's office about your family member and your family member has not signed a release of information, that, that, that doctor's office should not give you any information at all. They should not provide you with anything. They shouldn't even confirm whether your family member is a patient in their office. So HIPAA is very important. So I told her, like, you know, have your son sign a release of information so that way we will have permission to talk to you. But I, she referred him to the office, you know, I oh. talked to her first. And so, you know, I made it, I, I spoke to her because of that. I knew that she was the one who referred him. He was there with her while we were talking on the phone, oh. but 
HIPAA is to be respected. And the only way for HIPAA um, for HIPAA not to be an issue is for a patient to sign a release of information. And that's for any third party. If you're sending records to your attorney, if it's going to your primary care doctor, it used to be um, back in the day, if your primary care doctor, who I have nothing to do with, that's not in my office, refers you to my office, it used to be acceptable before HIPAA became so specific. It was uh, acceptable for me to share my records to your PCP because the referral came from your PCP, but that has changed. You cannot share records with with the referring source just because they referred the person. The patient still has to sign a release of information. Wow. That's really good to know. Link Allison, what do you want to do? Now you go ahead because what happened is I wasn't well, I wasn't aware whether I would be able to attend. So I didn't get okay. a chance to read over things. You but got I, it. So I'll go on to the next one. Uh, so I'm sharing the statistics, which uh, says women are the heads of household in roughly 30% of black and African-American homes compared to 9% of white homes. Does this contribute to the mental health crisis in your opinion as well? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I as well. Um, and when you talked about earlier about uh, being the eldest or the youngest, I happen to be the eldest, and and I know what that's like. And this morning I was shopping, and um, a woman in front of me picked up an elephant, and um, my mother was a Delta deer. Today's the six month anniversary of my mother's passing, and she was a Delta deer. And the woman picked up the elephant, and I lost it on the on the on the and I'm going to lose it again. And she t- she said, well, what's the matter? And I told her and she said, here, you take this. And I bought it. I have it downstairs because, you know, it, it just like that, I was triggered just like that. You know, I woke up knowing that, you know, this was the six month anniversary, but just seeing that and knowing that my mother would go crazy, you know, for this elephant, she had like a trillion of them. I, I used to say, mom, what's the point? But now I'm starting to do that and collect them in her honor. So yes, I absolutely understand that. Um, this is the next question, Dr. Delvina. Uh, are they coping? Are they coping exercises or particular behaviors that we can incorporate into our routines that might help to alleviate some of our stressors, or is it more than that? What is it that we have to do? I think it's that and it's uh, it's other things too. Um, it's definitely, we have to have a toolbox of coping mechanisms. So that is um, absolutely important. You have to know how to cope. And if you don't know how to cope, because some people were raised in homes where they didn't have, maybe they didn't have both parents. Maybe both parents were working so much that they didn't get the opportunity to learn from their parents certain things. They didn't glean information from their parents. Their parents weren't there to see them have a breakdown. Their parents weren't there to see them. It's as simple as um, playing the Nintendo or the Atari. Uh, I don't know what gaming system is out now, but when I was growing up, it was Atari and Nintendo. And um, I remember one time my brother was playing the game and he got mad, he lost, and he threw the remote control. So, you know, my mom was home to see that and had a conversation with him. And those things are important because it starts at such a young age, right? It it starts at home. Everything that we're building is built. Our foundation is created in the home. So children who come from broken families who might have been in, um, you know, the uh, uh, an an orphan or... um, adopted or something like that. 
um, it makes it more difficult for them to learn these different strategies as a child. And this is why folks who are raised in that type of environment struggle so much to find their way, especially if there's not someone to take the place of a parent, a mentor, or another family member who's taken the time to teach them. So I'm sure everyone here in the group has a coping mechanism that they use to deal. And coping mechanisms should be things that you can reach for right away and use it because something could go down on the job that mm. makes it so unsettled. It just, you feel like your day is ruined, but you know, you cannot leave work because you got to get a project done. You know, you can't leave. You got to stay here, stick it out. So thinking ahead of time about having these things in place, making those mental lists, making the list in your journal, making, just knowing what to do, what to grab for when the, if, if an opportunity presents itself. So we got to think ahead and be prepared ahead of time. If we had time, I would, I, you know, I would be curious to hear from the folks here in the webinar, what do they use in an instant? You know, I'm not talking about, oh, go get a massage. Cause if you're at work and something goes down, you can't just leave and go get a massage. You yeah, may not be curious as well. I think I think that's worthy of, of taking a couple of minutes to to really ask people about that. Um, and and so I'll link Tamara. Do you want me to ask? Um, you know, select people, or will you do that, or uh, how do you um, want? I can, or they can put it in the chat and put it in the chat. And we do have another yeah. question in the chat once we finish with this. So the question is, what do you do when you know things just aren't going right at work? Um, luckily I, I get off at 10 o'clock in the morning and when people are coming in, I'm leaving. So I walk out. Yeah, <laughs> That's you what got, I do. You got the perfect job. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to deal with people. I really don't. I just, I go home, you know, or whatever, but, uh, put in the chat, uh, please. You know, the question was, well, what do you do when, you know, people are getting on your nerves at work or yeah. uh, things are happening with the family and you got phone calls, you know, stuff with kids and, things with a husband and, and all of that, put it in the chat. What do you do uh, right away? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just put in the chat um, what I do. And, and that is that I, I paint, um, I draw, I make homemade soaps and I listen to gospel music. And so, um, you know, that sort of gives me some sort of uh, release. Uh, in the moment though, what do you do in the moment? You know moment? what? I also do, I, I doodle a lot. I doodle a lot. So I make, you know, I, I'll doodle my, I have a, a, a like a, a, a writing journal in the office and some calls are difficult calls, you know? And so I, as people are talking, you know, I see them, but I don't hear them. And so I'm just doodling as they, and some people have said to me, are you listening to what I'm saying? Cause it looks like you're drawing. And I said, no, I'm, I'm focused on what it is I need to focus on. Um, mm -hmm. But this is what I do. This is what I need to do for my brain. Yeah. Um, and that music some... therapy is important, you know, music therapy in the moment, Absolutely. So turning on some music, whether it's jazz, gospel, R&B, if you're into country music, whatever it is that you like, being able to have, you know, access to that in your office, or maybe like spa sounds or, you know, white noise for some people is enough to calm them down and to relax them. Some yeah. of the answers we received were uh, massages, mani-pedi, facial, preemptive self-care when time permits, bike riding or running in the mm -hmm. morning. Also have a text chat line of support with other sisters at work. They use it often. Uh, someone said they have positive affirmations throughout the office. I have a door that I can close and I pray. 
another person, Tierra says, I am intentional about taking my breaks in the workplace. I love that. This allows me to reset at home. I usually play music or dance to reset. Uh, one said, Brandon says, invite my girlfriends over for a night of karaoke. Uh, but I love the taking the breaks because that's another thing I think too, Dr. Delvina, is that mm-hmm. I don't know. Listen, they pay y'all. They give you two breaks a day or three breaks or whatever. <laughs> take your breaks. Why don't you take right. your breaks? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people feel so accomplished that they work through their break. Yeah. How are you being crazy? Don't work yeah. through your Take your break. And I, again, I want to define, there's a difference between self-care and a coping mechanism, a coping skill. The coping mechanism, the coping skill is what you use in the moment. You know, it's not a hot bath. You can't go jump in a hot bath when you're having an argument with a family member. You know, you you know, when you're at work, you can't go get your manicure, pedicure right there in that moment. So I want you to think about the difference between the two. Uh, Some of the items people mention are more self-care items, and those are great, but also have coping mechanisms you can reach for in the moment. Closing your door is good. Having the positive affirmations is an excellent one. Praying is an excellent one. Um, the serenity prayer, yeah, playing music, we said. So having things in the moment that you can do. The doodling that, uh, Dion, that you mentioned, that's a great one to just kind of refocus your brain or give you something else, something uh, something visual to look at and do to mm-hmm. engage you. And that is a distraction from your anger, from your emotion, whatever you may be feeling at the time. It's a great effective distraction to get you refocused, honed in on something different. Thank you, Dr. Delvina. I see uh, Link you Angela. Got a couple of hands. I was going to say yeah. Angela, then, then Allison, and then Catherine. Okay, so Angela, Thank then you. Allison, and then Catherine. That's how, yeah, that was the order. Okay. Miss um, Delvina, great job there, um, Dr. Thomas. Um, I, have, I have a business, and um, I have an employee that I actually, I allow him to utilize um, uh, medical marijuana, when he gets excited on our job, you know, we want to make sure everybody has that outlet that's approved for them and it's legal. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts around that? Because, I mean, that's so unconventional from my industry. What, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, it has to be at a responsible level, which you have to have a prescription in order to be authorized to do that within our organization. And he has like a little vape, vapor. Oh, wow. Um, thingy. And so... But he's still effective. He's highly effective. And he even explained it to me. We had a meeting about sativa and things of that nature that makes him calm and not overreact as we are in high pressure situations because our clients are very demanding. Mm -hmm. Um, And but for me personally, I just I I try not to go to work for a few days, but they can't (laughs) quite do that. But I think what are your thoughts around, you know, use of uh prescribed medications like that in the workplace wow that is such a great question like woo. uh so i can say so what type of workplace is this by the way um we we are a construction management firm so we build anything you see in the anything you see in drive-by we can build highways we can build skyscrapers etc however there's a team that they work with um, to build uh, all of this, managing the budget, the design, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, 
for me to sit here and say that someone should not use their medicinal cannabis throughout the day, because if he's spending eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 hours at work, if you take medication, and that is the purpose of medicinal cannabis, it's supposed to take the place of medication to treat different things. In Florida, medicinal cannabis is allowed for only one mental health disorder, which is PTSD, but it's allowed for people who have epilepsy, um, who have um, MS, who have HIV. So it's allowed for certain illnesses, cancer of any sort. Um, so you are a very um, forward thinking supervisor. I'll say that because a lot of jobs don't allow the use of even medicinal cannabis um, during the workday um, on the job. So you're very forward thinking. Uh, again, and again, you know, if it works, the whole the whole premise of medicinal cannabis is that it's not it doesn't make a person high. It's not supposed to cause a high. People don't get high off of medicinal cannabis. And that's what we teach. And that's what we preach. So considering that there's no euphoria, there's no high. So he shouldn't be in there being giddy and acting silly or any of that stuff. And also it takes the place of medication. Then the bottom line is I don't see anything wrong with it. And he's doing it respectfully. It's not he's not smoking um, a, a cigar that has cannabis inside. He's not smoking a joint. He's using a vape pen and hopefully he's, um, you know, there's some, he's, he's not being obvious with it. You know, he's trying to be, um, does he do it in private or does he sit at his desk and kind of puff? No, he has a private office. So it's very discreet as well as gummies. I mean, we, we talked about that. That's not something that you just go around and you know, mm-hmm. like you're just walking down the hallway vaping. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> yeah. So in the thing, and in, in the end, I would say I don't see anything wrong with that. You're you're very forward thinking. I commend you for that because a lot of people get stuck at this is cannabis. You can't mm-hmm. do that at work. So I commend you for being forward thinking. Awesome. Um, we had um, Allison. Uh, did you want to speak? And then Catherine, and then I see Linda's hand up as well. Well, there are two situations I want to talk about. The first situation is what I call acute, where you're placed in this situation where someone either really annoying you or saying something really just unprofessional. And the first thing you want to do is blow off the handle. And my advice to all people in that particular instance is to just count to 10. You just sit back, you count, you reflect, and then answer. So that's the acute situation. Then the more chronic one where it's just just chaotic all in your office, then that's when I take the time to just go in my office. I have my serenity prayer facing me at all times. I use that especially when I have difficult patients who are yelling at me and I just kind of read that serenity prayer. And and play music, just whatever your, your music that calms you, that, that's helped for me. Okay, those are good. Uh, Catherine and Allie. then Linda. I actually put my, uh, it was a comment. Um, oh. I saw it, I saw that uh, link, uh, Dion mentioned doodling and witnessed Judge Katanji Brown doodling a lot during the hearing so it must really work 
must really work. Yeah. <laughs> um, Linda? I think you're on mute. Yeah, you're unmuted. Um, okay. A lot of times what I do, I just meditate and because meditation can be for an extended um, time frame or you can just uh, meditate for five minutes, two minutes, one minute. And that means that you're shutting down everything and you just concentrate. Uh, really, for me, I concentrate on my breathing. So I just relax, pull myself out of the situation and just take time and just breathe. Yeah. That helps a lot. And another thing that I do is that I can go outside, go outside and just look at the sky, look at nature, I listen to birds. And that can happen over a very short period of time because it gets you out of that environment into an environment that's calm, that's restful, and it doesn't take a lot of time. So both of those usually work for me. Thank you for sharing that. And breathing resets you. So I just want to underscore mm -hmm. what she said about the breathing. Um, if you're angry, if you're anxious, if you're doing your breathing and you have to do it a certain way, I don't mean just breathing, you know, the regular breathing to stay alive, but mm -hmm. actual um, focused breathing where you inhale and you have to inhale for several seconds and you hold it and then you exhale. You exhale longer than the time that you inhaled. So you inhale, some people say five, two, seven, inhale for five seconds, hold it for two seconds and exhale for seven seconds. Mm -hmm. And when you keep doing that repeatedly, it really does. It's really effective at um, sort of breaking that anger, that desire to just lash out or be angry or to, um, you know, use profanity or whatever reaction you usually have when you get angry. It really does help to extinguish that. Thank you. Dr. Delphina, that, that was really good. You, you've given us some good tips. Um, there's another question I want to ask you um, before we get back to other questions that may be in the chat. Uh, it's been stated by NAMI, which is the National Association of Mental Illness, I believe is, is what the acronym stands for, um, that in Florida, some 600,000 adults and 181,000 children live with serious mental illness, mm -hmm. bipolar disorder, severe depression, schizophrenia, and nearly half the population will struggle less devastating forms at some point in their lives. This is an insidious epidemic. It reaches in every class of neighborhood and touches every public agency. How do we as women, because with numbers like that, how do we as women um, address this? And then um, how do you as a professional in the field address this? Hmm. Okay. So how you address it as a woman first is acknowledging that it's an issue. So just knowing that and being able to accept that it is a, an issue, a, a current issue for you if you are enduring something or could be a potential issue. Um, being able to, learning about recognizing the signs as well. Um, you know, mental health is something, it's unique. 
It's something that is not innate to a person. You know, you're not born with knowing how to deal with stress. Uh-huh. Not born with knowing or having the ability to recognize what is anxiety. People experience anxiety all the time. It's the number one mental illness. Uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, has, you know, all those statistics. One in four people experience anxiety, and most folks don't know it's anxiety. They think it's something else first. Um, so acknowledging that it's a, it's a potential problem, that it could happen, and making yourself more aware educating yourself. When we want to know more about something, what do we do? We research, we read, we look it up. So take the time and invest in your mental health by reading about it. Um, Maybe subscribe to um, the email distro list on NAMI or go on um, the American Psychiatric Association and check out updates that they might have on there. Um, Psychology Today is a good resource for Um, not just for mental health professionals, but also for patients. Um, Black African-American, oh, what is it called? Black Black and African-American, it's not the Psychiatric Association. I'll find it for you. Um, you. They also provide resources for uh, people of color um, and the topics of mental health and wellness. So I think sort of just um, resetting and doing a do-over. Let's say you came from a family where mental health was not talked about. It wasn't important. It was minimized. Um, Perhaps people were taunted um, by your family members if someone had a mental health challenge. Um, Not allowing that to take place in your home. Teaching your children Again, starting with the effective communication, because effective communication, there's this acronym I use, CRAP, communication resolves all problems. When you think about it, think back to issues you may have had in your past, whether it's with a friend, a coworker, a manager, a family member, a significant other, whomever. A lot of those issues arose because of a communication problem, Mm -hmm. either that person misheard or misinterpreted something you said, or they miscommunicated something to you. And it may have created anger initially, but if in the beginning you stop and you think to yourself, let me give this person the benefit of the doubt. It probably wasn't this, you know, reminding yourself not to jump to conclusions about things to give an uh, to give the opportunity to process with that person and to come to an understanding but most of our problems are created because of poor communication poor communication between mothers and children or between fathers and children yeah you know i hear that all day long the way a mother comes in she's talking about how her husband talks to the kids or how her husband talks to the stepkids right so having and teaching your kids too good communication, good effective communication. So all of these are sort of like prevention strategies and allowing mental health to be a topic, allowing your children to talk about feeling sad, allowing your child to cry, including the boys, including the boys, not just the girls, because boys are are usually the exception. They're not allowed to cry. They're not allowed to show that they're sad because they're supposed to man up. Um, and not express their emotions. 
that is the ultimate failure is not allowing a person, whether it be a man, a woman, a boy or a girl to express their emotions and to feel and to allow them to feel those things. So I think it starts there. It starts in the home. So if you're home, if there's a lot of yelling and fighting and, and cursing to communicate, try to, you know, just just see, stop all of that. Do a reset. Tell your significant other, hey, let's live our life differently. There's too much mm-hmm. stress happening in our household. Let's not curse at each other. Let's not yell when we talk because it really doesn't require all of that stuff. You know, I'm a single person. I'm divorced. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll happily state, I've talked about my divorce on my podcast. I left my husband because he couldn't manage his emotions. So, and I just, I cannot say I was young when I got married. I can't stand being around a negative person. I don't mm-hmm. like yellers. I don't like, I, I don't like screamers. It's mm-hmm. not for me. I like to be at peace. Mm-hmm. I don't see someone bringing me that negative energy. Mm-hmm. So it starts in the home and how you manage things. It starts with the relations, relationships that you have. Don't stay in relationships that are not healthy for you. All these toxic relationships, you got to recognize red flags when you're out here dealing with people, whether it's a significant other, some new woman who wants to be your friend. You know, women can have red flags too, just like mm-hmm. men. So you have to know, you got to listen to your gut, your intuition in a lot of situations. Um, So that's the first part of your question. The second part and how we deal with it. Let me just say this. This is the most extreme thing. And some people ain't going to get this, but it it needs to be said. Some people ain't never going to change. I'm not God. I'm not God. And I don't pretend to be God. And I realize I can't save everybody. I can't change all these people, you know, we commonly talk about depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, drug problem, but there's something out here called a personality disorder. (laughs) And when that comes in your office, (laughs) there ain't nothing. So sometimes there ain't nothing you can do about it, especially if you're the first mental health practitioner they encountered, because sometimes these things go in steps. You might be the first person. And I'll say again, back in the day, mental health professionals would not tell people when they had a personality disorder. You guys heard of things like narcissism, borderline personality disorder. Those are probably the two most common ones. Narcissism is probably the most common one people have heard of, but borderline PD, personality disorder also occurs and it happens in men and women. And so- you know, I remember I pissed off a patient so badly because I'm a very direct person. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. going to sugarcoat crap. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong and what you should be doing. You know, in the beginning, it's going to be mm-hmm. a little, you know, I'm going to try to take my time with you. I take my mm-hmm. time with every patient. We established a report. This is a woman I was seeing for over two years. Um, and she came in one day and I, I told her, I said, you know, you handled that situation improperly. This is what you have to think about. And she got pissed off with me. And um, and I told her, I said, you know, I'm okay with you being angry with me. Mm-hmm. If you go somewhere else to seek mental health care, at least I know I put you on the path yeah. to confronting you. So there's something called therapeutic confrontation. And some folks have to therapeutically be confronted. And sometimes the ones who don't think they have an issue or don't want to change, they don't like to be confronted. 
and they'll leave your practice. Uh, when they leave, I know they'll go and find someone else and hopefully they'll say, oh my God, that Dr. Delvina uh, or that Dr. Thomas, she said this to me, oh, I left. I'm, I'm never going back there because if they're a savvy practitioner, they're listening and they hear that there was a confrontation that occurred therapeutically in the office and this woman or this man abandoned treatment because they could no longer deal with the frustration that came with facing their problems. And hopefully that person can pick up from there and take them on the rest of that part of their journey. Mm -hmm. Some folks have seen 10, 12, 15, 20 mental health experts Mm. because they go in there pretending and not being authentic they never get help. They never change. So personality disorders, we really didn't talk about that. But those are the most challenging thing that we treat um, in the office. A lot of Black women who we see, they don't have personality disorders. Everyone has a quirk of some some type. And as I said before, it's mostly the mood disorders. Um, So to help folks, we talk to them about prevention. The same things that I'm telling you guys, we talk about healthy diet. We ask about their sleep hygiene. That's one thing we haven't really discussed either. If you're not sleeping, you will not be a friendly person the next day. Some folks, Mm -hmm. if you're not sleeping, you're not going to be as, you know, reactive as you could be. You're not going to be as with it. You're not going to be as coherent. You're not going to be as responsive. You may not be able to, um, to multitask as well if you're not sleeping. So we talk about sleep hygiene with them. And the thing that we don't do is we don't use Band-Aids. You're not going to come in here and be stressed and anxious and get Xanax out of us. It ain't going to happen right away. Things like Xanax and Ativan and Clonazepam, some of these sedatives that doctors, your primary care doctors just throw around like it's candy, is a setup for failure. So if you're going to your doctor and they're just giving you Xanax because you're crying because you had a death in the family and they keep giving you Xanax for the whole year, that person is irresponsible. Mm-hmm. So you, we're not going to do that. We're not going to give you a Band-Aid because those things just, they sedate you in the moment. And when it wears off, it comes right back again. They're mm-hmm. very similar to alcohol. Mm-hmm. So we talk about prevention strategies. We talk about coping skills. We encourage you to participate in psychotherapy. If you don't already have a therapist, we have a therapist. If it's clinically indicated, we'll educate you on medication, the options, Um, why this one may work better than another one for you and your specific situation, what the risks may be, such as the side effects, possible side effects, and what we believe the benefits will be. And we try to create a a treatment plan so that you understand how we'll walk you through for the next six months, the next year, the next couple of years. And then again, as I stated, we also do the other things like the massages and the facials and things like that. Thank you so much. I apologize, Dion. We have um, a very good question um, in the chat. Um, It says, can you talk about the importance of cultural competence and finding a mental health provider? Mental health as a specialty, really, it took off a lot during the pandemic. It became popular. Like it's it's trending. Um, It's still trending. And so to find a good mental health provider, there's a lot of sites you can go on. Um, Most people who I would say are probably less than 50 years of age, most folks have a website. Most people, if they decide to go into private practice, they're going to create a website because they want to be able to attract 
um, traffic uh, off of uh, the World Wide Web. Um, also, your insurance company will have profiles of different providers. So if you go on your insurance, your insurance plan's website, you put in your zip code, you put in the specialty you're looking for, it should generate a list for you. And some of those health plans, when we're applying to get credentialed, they ask you to fill out information to tell a little bit about yourself. If you want to include a picture, you can include a picture. Um, psychology Today, I mentioned as a good source for mental health information, that is a good place to also find a provider. It's psychologytoday.com. You can put in your zip code and you can put in, uh, there's a filter. I believe there's, I haven't been on there in so long, but there's a way to pull up um, maybe um you know, a, a provider who's friendly for LGBTQT, or did I say the letters wrong, but you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. you know, a provider who's friendly with that, a provider who considers themselves culturally sensitive and is um, Caribbean or Haitian or African uh-huh. or um, you can you know, do searches for things like that. It's important uh, cultural competence is very important and it's essential. And I'll give you a quick example why. Black women, let me start over. What population changes their hair the most? Oh. <laughs> Asian women, Hispanic women, Black women, Indian women, or white women? What would you black, guess? Black women. Uh, black women. <laughs> Damn ball yeah. tomorrow on Goldilocks. Mm-hmm. You know, either the color, the style, mm-hmm. um, whatever. It's just we change our hair. We change our hair. Our own hair itself, sometimes we might go into a wig, sometimes we might wear a weave, sometimes we go on braids, sometimes, you know, we change our hair. One time I had a, um, a white therapist, a white uh, female therapist who, um, you know, she refers patients to me. I refer patients to her to my white patients um, because I have black women therapists I can send my black patients to. And I explained that to her actually just like the other day we were having a conversation and I was explaining to her why it's important to have a culturally sensitive therapist. So anyhow, she told me our patient we shared in common must be bipolar because every time she sees her, she changes her hair. (laughs) 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 And I told her, no, that's just Tuesday. What are you talking about? break it down for her like because you know some white people have been very sheltered they may have gone to a school where they didn't have black people or maybe there was one or two black girls and they just wore their hair straight the whole time like they may have not have been around real black culture and bipolar there's so many other things to being bipolar so number one therapist master's level therapists are not as well trained as a psychologist or a psychiatrist And that's just a fact. Those are the facts because they don't go to school long enough to be as trained as a psychiatrist or a psychologist. That's facts. They don't know as much information. So the fact that she diagnosed her with bipolar or wanted to diagnose her with bipolar based on her changing her her hair and no other criteria being met, number one, that's, you know, that's incompetence because the woman is not meeting criteria for bipolar. And number two is culturally insensitive. That tells me you don't know anything about black women. <laughs> so that is my example as to why it's important. And also the situation with Dion earlier going to an Asian primary care physician, um, you know, and discussing her weight and some of those things. It's just there we're out here. So why not? 
why not use us? Why not, you know, utilize a uh, someone who looks like you to provide your your health care? There are so there's black male physicians as well. Uh, there aren't there aren't a lot of black male psychiatrists. So if you have little boys and you you're trying to steer them in the direction of a career, tell them medical school, medical school, and then you become a psychiatrist. Okay. <laughs> your your son is in school right now. Is he study, studying psychiatry? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what? Know, you got to know what your children's strengths are. You got to know your audience. That's right. <laughs> that's right that's right i actually um on a personal note actually recommended my son um to seek some therapy recently after some behaviors that i saw and um i hope he, i hope he does you know I, and i i intend to follow up and, and make sure that he talks to somebody um you know besides me or his dad it's it's i see some stuff that i don't know it's yeah. from someplace down in the gene pool but i don't know um, right. <laughs> we're reaching, we're reaching the end of the program and I didn't know, I wanted to, um, make sure there were other people, if they had any questions, uh, that they wanted to ask, uh, this would be a good time. And I see Link Allison has her hand up and how appropriate you as the mental health ambassador to be asking the last question. So go ahead, Link Allison. This is right. just probably this is defining my age. In the old days, there was always a stigma about mental illness. And because of that, most patients, it was hard for you to, to tell them you need to see a psychiatrist because all of a sudden now it's that block. Do you still see that or people have accepted mental illness is a definable problem and not that you're just crazy? So we see in younger generations, um, they've done studies, younger mm-hmm. generations are way more receptive to mental health care. And I've had uh, parents who call and say, my 17-year-old daughter told me she needs to see a therapist. Mm-hmm. So these teenagers, these college students, they are way more receptive to reaching out and getting some sort of um, mental health intervention. Um you know, there's also, there's coaches as well, besides mental health professionals. But of course you guys know, or you may not know, but coaches are not licensed. They're, they're coaches. Uh, You know, they may have a specialty in assisting you and overcoming or dealing with one particular issue, like opening a business, but they should not be utilized as a mental health expert to help you with, you know, something as serious as an anxiety disorder, a depressive disorder, a family member with a drug problem or bipolar or anything like that. Um, so it's more, the, the numbers are higher amongst the younger generation. It has become more um, more accepted by older, older folks as well. I've had a couple of pastors who, who came in to seek mental health treatment. So that tells me, and a lot of black churches are doing mental health programs. I've participated in some of those. So I think it's going in the right direction. Um, you know, folks on social media, famous people, uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes talking about mental health and wellness and having seminars and, um, oh, darn it, I'm blanking on his name, the the guy who sings, um, the gospel. Kirk Franklin. Franklin. Yes. Kirk Franklin. Yes. He says you need prayer and therapy, not just prayer. 
So, and I posted in the group blackpsychiatrist.org. That is, that's what I was trying to remember earlier when I was talking about a site to go on for um, Black mental health professionals. So blackpsychiatrist.org. I'm going to, I'm going to, on behalf of uh, the North Broward County chapter of the Lynx Incorporated and uh, the facet members for the Health and Human Services facet, um, I am going to extend our heartfelt appreciation to you, Dr. Delvina, for what I consider an incredible session. Um, Certainly you not only educated us, you enlightened us and you empowered us. And uh, we are incredibly grateful. It's a great way for us to kick off this three-part series. And I just want to say thank you. You already know I fangirl you. Tell me when you get uncomfortable. I can't help it. It's just the way it is. So thank you for joining me for another episode. I told you my throat was going to clear. Ha, 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 ha. Thank you for joining me again. Thank you for joining me on the couch with the North Broward Links. Shout out to those ladies for placing mental health and wellness at the forefront of their mission um, this year. And I'm sure moving forward, it will continue to be a topic of conversation, not just for the Links, but for many organizations and uh, support groups and uh you know, nonprofits and for-profit. And um, I just conducted a class a couple of weeks ago for the city of Miramar talking about um, ways to de-stress. So it was kind of um, a class about uh, not just coping, but ways to deal with stress and anxiety. And we talked about so many different things. So, and I will be teaching again, I believe it's May 14th, I'm visiting a church in Coral Gables uh, to discuss mental health and wellness as well. If you follow me on my social media pages, you'll see some of the flyers that I post when I am invited to speak. I'll be speaking for the city of Miami Gardens at the end of May. Also for their Memorial Day celebration. Remember, I am a veteran. So um, I just I love to speak and give classes and assist folks individually and groups, all of those things. And guess what? I have some new pamphlets that are coming out very soon. Hopefully they are in their final stages. You know how it is if you've ever written a book or created some type of literary project, you always go back and make changes and changes and changes. I think this is the last time we'll submit for changes unless we notice something else, but I will be talking about these pamphlets very soon, and you'll see them also on my social media pages. Thank you again for joining me on the couch with the North Broward links, and I will, well, you guys will not see me unless you're on social media or YouTube checking out some of my videos, but you'll hear from me next week. And if you were looking for me on social media at all for the last week, I was away decompressing. I had no Wi-Fi and no electricity. I stayed at an eco-lodge in See why Egypt. It was pretty dope. I'll have to talk about it next week. Maybe next week. Yeah, it was it was super dope. Um, I had a chance to visit the Salt Lakes and um, and just hang out and decompress and live by at night by candlelight. I mean, there was no lights at all on this um, on this property, so it was pretty neat. But anyway. I got to get out of here, guys. Everyone have a wonderful week. Brain love. It's the end of an episode. 
thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need, it's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes, learn from them, and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love. Thank you.